Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Today's guest is a friend and wonderful improviser, author, director. We first met around 2017 at a workshop at the Florida Studio Theater, and I was immediately attracted to his style of teaching improvisation theater. I hooked up with him via Skype. This was before Zoom and the pandemic, and we had several online classes that were just fantastic. You're gonna be joining us David Rosowski and myself in an ongoing conversation about his life and his book, Improvisation for Subversives. I think you're going to enjoy it. I mean, we're just having a conversation, right? So, yeah. uh, um, should I just continue with what I'm talking about? <laughs> David, just continue. Okay. Um, no, I, it's one of these things where I was, uh, the book self-published, and one of the things that I really focused on when I put the book together is to not have it look self-published or feel self-published. And so, yeah, there were a lot of drafts. And yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of drafts. And yeah, there, there was a lot of changes that were made. Um, and I drove my, um, do you know, do you know, uh, Vera Cole, she lives down, she, she's no. a, she's a Floridian. She's an improviser and a, she was my editor oh. and, uh, the patience of a saint, um, because I was like, I don't want this in. I want this in. I want this. In, I want this in. And she'd say, we should put this in. I'm like, I don't want to put it in. And it's like, ah, oh, she's right. We should put that in. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, and I say in the book, anybody who says that they enjoyed writing their book didn't write their book. Um, it's a pain in the ass. It's just a pain in the ass. But thinking about it now, thinking about it now, thinking about it now, <laughs> sorry, cut you off. Thinking about it now, Vera, who was my editor, is a former student of mine. Nick Jaramillo, who did the, designed the interior of the book, is also a, 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 wow. a an, an improviser. So I had, you know, he's he's a book designer and an improviser. So I picked the right team. You most certainly did. Mm -hmm. the odds were in your favor. And I was asking about how many have sold so far, which got us into this conversation. It's so mm -hmm. exciting. It's just so exciting. It's being endorsed by so many wonderful improvisers and actors and friends. And I, I was going to ask you a little bit more about the process of writing because you started the book when? Is it? I want to say I, I want to say I started about. For some reason, the number seven comes up. Uh, I, I I hired Vera. Uh, to work with me about three and a half years ago. So, but I've been, I've been blogging for, not really blogging, but I've been writing essays. I don't know if you know, Sally Smallwood uh, and uh, two chair, the two chairs people yes. up in Toronto. She's yes. asked me numerous times to write uh, 
to write things and I wrote them and, and, and I held on to them. And those things became the foundation of the book. Um, and uh, the process is really hard, especially if you want to put a, a memoir portion in there. Yeah. Because the memoir portion, you know, uh, I first I wrote it with I wrote it without the memoir. Then I wrote the memoir. Then I took out the memoir. Then a guy, Mark Larson, who's an author in Chicago, he looked at both the memoir and not the memoir. And he said, why don't you shove these together? It doesn't make any sense. And then that took that that took us another, you know, that took me another eight months to put that together. And there's so many stories that are take aren't in there because, you know, you go, why am I putting the memoir? Am I putting the memoir to say, look at all the great things I've done, or am I putting the memoir, and this is really an important part, am I putting the memoir in there to show people where my methodology and my philosophy came from? Yes, And to always, yeah, so that's really important to always have that in front of your face as you're moving forward. Uh, And like the idea of like, I'm putting this memoir in, not just because it's a cool story. There's a couple of cool stories that that are great stories that aren't in there because it didn't pay off for the methodology. Right. Um, and these are stories that I that I could tell. And there's also something that I wrote um, that is like, like when, when, when we say yes, why do we say yes? And it's a beautiful thing. And it's just like, I, I, it flowed through me and it went on the paper and it is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't belong in the book. It didn't belong in the book. And so I've been reading that at readings alone by itself. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm I, right now. I'm like because I haven't talked to anybody today. So you're the first person I'm talking to. So I'm getting all of my talking out at you. Keep going, keep going. I love it. <laughs> now you've been going on book tours and doing things like that. Uh, I've been planning it. I have one book tour in uh, the Improv in DC. I have another one coming up this weekend in. Tucson. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I have one on Friday at the Village Well in Culver City that um, my friend Rose Abdu is uh, hosting. I, I roped her into hosting it. And then on Sunday, I have another one in Tucson. Uh, I've got, oh. you know, so, so I'm getting out. I'm getting out. And I have to get out because I want, so nobody, I don't know, maybe people do. I don't write, I don't write a book to make money. Um, I write a book to go, I want, I want to, this is why I wrote the book. I wrote the book so that I, when I go to another city, people have the nomenclature. They have the definition of terms. They know who it is that I am. So I'm not starting at zero. I'm starting at assuming that maybe 60% of the people wrote, read the book. Um, and and I want this to, I want this to melt into, I want the methodology to melt into the, uh, the gestalt of improv. I think I, that's, I, I want to elevate the, I want to elevate the art form. I want people to see it as an art form. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you on that one, David. So are, sure. you, are you going to be at WIT when you're in DC? No, I was already at, I was at, I was already in, in DC. I was at uh, the improv, the DC improv. Okay. And when are you coming to Florida? When DeSantis is out. <laughs> I swear, I, my dad lives in Cape Coral, and I I'll come know. to visit him. My dad lives in Cape Coral, and I'll come to visit him. Uh, but I will not. I will not work in Florida until the political situation changes. I can't. I just can't. Oh, and, and how yeah. is your, how is your dad? He's great. He's great. You know, he's not over ninety. He's driving. He's painting. He's sculpting. 
Uh, he's doing work around the house. He's smart. He's writing. Uh, it's just the Rosowski, the Rosowski gene uh, is a is a strong one. It's really strong, you know. Uh, he's healthy. He's healthy. Knock on palm. Um, and what a I great, I, what a great guy. He's a great well, guy. And he's okay with you not becoming an electrical engineer. <laughs> Uh, he's okay. He's okay. I think one of the things that really helped was when I got into Second City, you know, suddenly it wasn't, are you chasing rainbows? Suddenly it was like, oh, there's my kid. There's my, there's my kid up on stage. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but you know, I understand nobody in my family is artistic. I mean, my dad is artistic, but he became artistic later um, uh, in his life, uh, or at least he embraced it later. He's he plays the banjo. You know, there's there's performance in my family. My mother, you know, played the guitar. And um, and so he understands that. But it's also he comes from, you know, he comes from a different world. You know, he comes from a world where no one was an artist. He had a business. My uncle owned gas stations uh, in Chicago. He was a machinist. My dad is an electrician. Um, so when it came to what are you going to do with your life? I want to be an actor. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Margot, Margot I, I, feel, I feel privileged. I feel like all, I feel privileged. And, and I'm, I'm using that in a way like I am grateful and I understand it's because my folks had opportunities that gave my brother, my sister and I opportunities. And so there was the struggle. I mean, I, we struggled, but we didn't struggle. You know, we had a very solid middle class existence based upon, you know, the union representation from my mom and my dad. Um, and they and had I, fannies. And they had hoot nannies at the house. They had people coming over, playing, you know, the, the, the banjos and mandolins and violins and fiddles and uh, and guitars. Uh, and I remember these these events huge. And I remember them coming over to our house. And I also remember going to the Old Town School of Folk Music, which is something that a lot of Chicago people know. When it was the Old Town School of Folk Music started in the late 50s. And to watch these folk heroes and during the folk generation, my folks would bring me there in, in the 60s and watch these people perform. Performance was always throughout my life. You know, it's just in and out. And uh, uh, yeah, so they had hootenannies and, 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 and music is important. I, I loved your bar mitzvah story. And um, I also, but the temple was a place where you could do acting as well, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Until you absolutely. started stealing cars, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. One was they were they were at the same time. So, uh, uh, but it, yeah, you're right. Uh, I became I was the I was the uh, co-president of the youth group. Um, I would lead services. I went to Hebrew. I went to uh, uh, Reform Jewish camp uh, four summers in a row, uh, where I performed and I, I I performed. I acted, but I also learn Jewish philosophy yes, um, yes. And, and that Jewish philosophy mixed later on with some Buddhist, uh, 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 a little dip into Buddhism um, really affected me profoundly uh, just in terms of being an artist and feeling and being at peace with who it is that I am and, and the, the, the traumas that, that come into our lives. Um, and it really helped. It really, it, it really helped.
There are so many wonderful, great storytellers, mostly rabbis, I think, but in the Jewish tradition. Did you have any that you particularly loved reading their stories? Or um, I really, uh, I, I'll tell you something. This going to this overnight camp in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and you're 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 years old, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, wow. and you're up in a cabins in Wisconsin, and you have wow. these reform rabbis, and you have Shabbat dinner, and then afterwards we all get together and we sing, and there's these mystical stories that are being told, you know, um, uh, the, the golem and 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 you know Isaac Bashev is singer, and all these wonderful stories that come at you that have that are scary and philosophical and human and vulnerable and funny and it's growing up a jew in the you know <laughs> growing up in this jewish community and being enveloped and loved in that community um allowed my allowed, allowed my creativity and my, my fantasy world to soar you can do whatever you can, you can, you know, it's that phrase, like, what, what could you do if you, if you knew that you can never be wrong or make a mistake and to surround yourself with people who are encouraging you to um, live your fullest life. I, I don't know. I don't know what better way to be raised there is that sentence didn't grammatically come out the way I wanted it to, but I think you understood what I meant. Ain't, ain't no problem here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a breath. Mm -hmm. Taking a pause. Time to get some coffee. Sit in my chair. Good idea. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things I love about the book are the moments when you're very vulnerable. Like the story about what happened and you were artistic director at the Second City at the time when 9 11 occurred. It's almost going to make me want to cry. And you were so brutally, you didn't have to put that in the book, but you were so brutally honest about that, David. It's a real sore spot in, in my life. And I, and, and when I say a sore spot, what I mean is it's tender. It's still tender. Um, and it was really important that I put that in the book. It was really important that I put my firing from second city in the book. It was really important that I put, you know, the, uh, you know the the drug things in there, and the, the you know the the stealing of the car in there, and um, that uh, yeah, like all, all these stories are are they're they're hard, but I I it's like my TED talk where it's like you have to sit in it, you know what I mean? Right. It's like we we have these experiences coming at us, and there's not not anything that we can really do about it other than to say, this is happening to me right now. It's not who it is that I am, but it's what is happening. Right, it's right. not who it is that I am, but it is what is happening. Um, and all of these stories, I, I need to tell all these stories. I have to tell all these stories. Um, and, and the 9-11 story is, it was shocking to all of us. You know, right. planes coming right. into the building. And there was no, there, there was, there was no one around who can tell us, oh yeah, I remember when Pearl Harbor happened or uh, something. I remember when uh, this, the, the Trojans brought this horse. Right. Into the, and like no one's around to tell you how to, how to live that. And so what did I do? I, I caved 
and I left people with their, you know, with their schmeckles in their hand, a word that I never use, um, and uh, sitting around and I see these people online and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I fucked you over. And I'm so sorry. And, and, and you're a human being. And right. you were struck by it just like all of us were struck by it. I, that day I had a client in my office and he came in and I really couldn't work. I had just heard the news and I couldn't work. And he came in and, and he, I tried to talk with him and I said, do you know what just happened? He's, he was like offhanded about it. And I said, you know what? I'll see you another time. I'm going home, take care of myself. And it's exactly what I did. Now, getting back to the topic of vulnerable, how to be vulnerable and how to show vulnerability on stage. Mm -hmm. You teach that too, don't you? About yeah. being vulnerable. And yeah. what are some of the kind of ideas about that and thoughts you have? Well, one when we're improvising or when we're acting, we're not ourselves. We're portraying characters. And because we're portraying characters, that gives us an opportunity to do things that we've never done in our, in our lives. If we're improvising a scenario that we've never done before, why do I want to take a chance? Why do I want to, to take the, the road that I historically have taken, where if I have an opportunity to bear my soul, it's not my soul I'm bearing, it's the character's soul that I'm bearing, but I'm still feeling what it feels like for a human being to bear their soul. That's one of the great things about improvisation is you are you, but you're not you. You're experiencing these emotions, but it's actually the character that's experiencing the emotions. But at the end of the scene or during the scene, you are also experiencing the emotions the same way that you do in a dream. And improvisation and a dream are basically the same thing. They're you experiencing you in a situation that isn't you, and you're going through it emotionally as you would go through it in your real life, but you're not really going through it. But you wake up in the morning after having a dirty dream about you know, your downstairs neighbor, and you're like, I can't look her in the eye, but she doesn't know because she wasn't there, and you weren't there, and that's, that's it. So the, the idea of being vulnerable is to be mindful of when you – in, in improvisation to be mindful of when you are at this intersection of to be vulnerable, to bear your soul, to open up, to be, um, to, 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 be, to, be, to be vulnerable or to hide it. And what I encourage people to do is not to hide it because what, who are you hiding it from? Right. <laughs> because everybody on stage is a fictional character. And don't you want to live this? Don't you want to do something that you've never done before? Said something that you've never done before. Said something that you said once before, but it wasn't as eloquent as now you have the opportunity to say that. Don't you want, you know, don't you want to have these opportunities and then recognize, recognize the opportunity? And then uh, engaging in the engaging. And when, and, and the book is called The Subversive's Guide to Improvisation, because if you follow the improv rules of always say yes, never talk about people on here, don't ask questions, like all those, don't negotiate. Right. You're narrowing your, your opportunities. And because you're narrowing those opportunities, you're also making it so that you're not being a, a free flowing, flowing human being, being human. You're not being a free flowing human being, being human. What you're doing is you're following these rules that were set up by people that in 1957 
you know, at the, the kitchen table rules or whatever that was called. Right, right. And it's like, that doesn't apply anymore. And, you know, I used to think improv had to be funny. And then I started getting into long form where it wasn't funny and it was wonderful. Something wonderful this way happened or whatever. I mean, it right. was- Yeah, something, wonder- some, yeah, something wonderful right away. And, and here's the thing. Even the scenes, so so what do we we what do we laugh at in in long form or, or you know even in, even in short form? What do we laugh at? We laugh at people being human. We yes. laugh at people saying things and doing things that they've never done before. That's what we laugh at. And um, if you aren't encouraged to go down a path that you haven't gone down to before, then you're not going to experience those things. But some of the scenes that you know I've got, I don't know. A, a, two or three dozen scenes at the end of the book that you can watch online and you notice them and our at Rachel Hamilton, uh, Eric yes. Honeycutt, Carrie Clifford and I, our intention is never, our product is never the laugh. Our product is to improvise. Our product is to be connected in that moment. As I said, the product of improvisation is the process of improvising. The product of improvisation is the process of improvising. Yes. Yes. I don't come to an improv show to see the end of an improv show. I come to see an improv show to see two courageous actors engaged in personal, a, a, a personal battle, for lack of an, a, 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 a word, you know, and to, to show me things that I probably shouldn't be watching. To allow me into their front room, the character's front room, to watch the uh, front room, living room, whatever, <laughs> front rooms in Chicago, to allow people into their front room to watch the to watch these two people have, you know, intimate, and I don't mean intimate in a sexual way, but to have an intimate conversation that's a hard one to fucking listen to. That's the first time I saw her since we got together. It's a record. Most of my podcasts aren't for minors anyway. So. Yeah. David, you mentioned Buddhism, and can we speak about that just a little bit more about the influence that Buddhism and how did you get turned on to Buddhism in the first place? Really interesting. Uh, let's see. I believe uh, so. Uh, this is in the book, and it was taken out of the book. Uh, I was so I was the artistic director of Second City, and I had been teaching for you know a decade or longer. And I felt like I didn't know. I felt like I had something. I, I felt like I had something to offer, but I hadn't codified it yet. I felt like I had a personal style, but I hadn't yet defined what it is. And my, my it's the first it started with a struggle, and then it became something like I, you know, you will know what you need to know when you need to know what you need to know. And I felt like one day all of this will come to me. I was on my way flying from uh, LAX to. Um, Santa Cruz for an improv festival. And I stopped by the Hudson bookstore and there was a book called Buddhism Plain and Simple by a guy named Steve Hagen. And, and I was drawn to the book. And I remember reading the book on the plane and saying, this guy has written the greatest improv book without knowing that he's written a great improv book. And I looked at it you know, about a year ago while I was writing my book and I looked at it and like, how many lines have been underlined? How much has been, how much has been uh, codified in that that has become how much have I codified in what it is that I'm doing at the same time um, around the same time I was also getting a divorce and uh, I was I was divorced and I and I was going out this wonderful woman uh, Jen Winters and Jen turned me on to a place called Agape Spiritual Center yes. which is yeah out yeah. here uh, and um, and it was basically 
you know, a, an extension, a, a human extension of Buddhism without calling it Buddhism, but it was, it was spiritual. And I felt like the spiritual aspect of improvisation through that book made me like really gave me direction, not just in improvisation, but also in life. And that's when, and this is an really, and your question is really great. This is when the firewall came down, the firewall being there's your improv life and there's your life. Right. And when the firewall comes down and you realize, my God, I'm improvising every moment of my life. Every moment of my life is an improvisation. And the more, the most important thing for me to, to do is to keep the practice of mindfulness, awareness, and presence present. Because when we don't have those things, we walk around in a cloud and we're missing opportunities. We're, miss, we're missing things that we, we've never seen, even in my neighborhood. And I, you know, I take a five mile walk every single day. And I, I've got, and I live in a beautiful neighborhood in, in LA. I just love it. It's just great. And I will go down the same street, you know, I will go down the same street two, two or three times a, a week. I have my routes and I will see things that I've never seen before. Why? Because I am present. Am I present all the time? No. Do I, do I miss stuff? Yeah. But I remember Dell talking about, you know, you know, I don't know why Dell was talking about it, but he was talking about you know, deal with yourself with humor and compassion. And he didn't say it in that way because that's not the way he talked. Right. But I remember, I remember learning that and going, deal with yourself with humor and compassion. Yes. And that has never not been something that, uh, and when, and that's always been something where it's like, Oh, I really fucked up. It's like, come on, fella. And Buddhism taught me that, like, just, yeah. just be here. What happened to you happened, and that happened. Suffering is optional. Suffering is optional. You know, and, and I don't remember where I heard this, but the only source of suffering is non-acceptance. And this reminds me of a of a quote of Martin Demotz, and I wish I had been around to meet him. When he said, you don't you would love him. He would love you. Uh -oh. You would love him. You don't have permission. <laughs> you don't have permission to disregard yourself. No. No. And, and, and to be honest with you, I think one of the things, one of the improv rules is the most important person on stage is your partner. Fuck that rule. <laughs> the most important person on stage is you how you feel, what's your point of view, certainly in concert with your partner. But when you and I are doing a scene together, the last person I talk to before I open my mouth is me, right? And if I disregard me, I'm being held hostage to your scene. And it's our scene, Margo, it's our scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was talking earlier about the fact that I started studying with you in 2018 or 17 um, on, I don't know if we were doing Skype back then or what it was, and that you've been a wonderful teacher to me. And I've learned so much about being real and listening and waiting for the beats and the different aspects of the methodology, the viewpoints. Um, I wanted to go back to a couple of things I had prepared for today, though, because you know, <laughs> I'm like Oprah, you know, I got my little cards here with me. And um, I got to say that picture of you with the braces on. I mean, you had quite the headset on when you were a kid, David. Oh, Jesus. my God. Oh, my and, God. And, 
And there's a story behind that too. The story is, um, I hate, I was in fourth grade. I had to wear the headgear, the orthodontal headgear, 20, you know, any waking moment of the day, you know, and uh, I had glasses, uh, horn rim glasses that were later determined I didn't need them. And our, my ophthalmologist was a quack, but I was forced to wear glasses. And when you're eight or nine, you go, I hate this. I don't want to do it. So I would leave my house. I would take off my headgear. I would put it in my backpack. I would, on my way home for lunch, I would put it back on before I entered my house. So my mom thought that I was wearing it. And then when I left my house for lunch and gone back, I put it back on. So, uh, so it was, it was uh, picture day. It was picture day in fourth grade. And I'm huh? like, I want my mom to know that I wore my headgear. Right. I want her to think, I want to trick her into thinking that I wore my headgear. <laughs> so I put my headgear on, I put my glasses on, uh, we got the picture back and my mom looked at it and my mom had a, you know, she had a mouth. My, my mom looked at it and goes, what the hell were you wearing? Why did you wear this? Why didn't you take it off? <laughs> I was like, that didn't work out. <laughs> but I got this thing, I have this thing and it's such so much to do with, with, with my life. And it's so much to do, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I don't okay. need to co-op. Yeah. So you studied photojournalism and you're the photographer of most of the photos in the book. You have a credit for most of the, and the, the pictures are wonderful. I can't imagine how you had to sieve out through the ones you didn't use. And I will keep reminding you that I'm not in the book, a picture of me, but maybe <laughs> when you do the second edition, I'll be in it. Cause you know, it's all about me. And, right. um, but, uh, when you started out, you were doing improv with the geese company in prisons. And I'd right. love to hear more about that. I mean, you describe it pretty well in the book, but I, I'd really like to hear more about that. One of the things I thought was really funny is that the director kept thinking you had studied method and you didn't even know what method was. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, ask, ask a specific question about, about geese company. Cause I've got so many, I've got so much like, like, Ask me a specific, specific question about it. Okay, well, you were using masks. Was that a Keith Johnstone thing or was your director just avant-garde? And how did you feel being in a mask? Um, one of the main things that, because the, so Geese Company, it was, uh, uh, the full name was Geese Company for in, uh, for corrections, uh, Geese, Geese Theater Company for corrections. That was the name of, of the company. And it was six people, uh, 10 or nine or 10 people living in a, uh, living in a, a four bedroom apartment in Chicago and going on the road, getting money from the federal government, the correctional departments of, of, of county, city, states. Uh, and uh, Geese Company was started by John Bergman who had studied a lot of avant-garde theater without getting too specific. Uh, but he also had tremendous knowledge of Jersey, uh, Jersey Grotowski, not Jersey Grotowski, biomechanics, um, the living theater, uh, which I mentioned in the book and um, guerrilla theater. And he, uh, he wanted to do something. And John who was just phenomenal. Uh, wanted to do something where, if we put masks on, then the audience could put their own faces yes. on us. Yes. If we didn't have masks, so in the book I go, why does anybody look, you know, why would anybody in a New Jersey prison look at me, a 25 year old Jewish white guy, and feel that I had something to offer? 
but what if I didn't look like a Jewish white guy? What if I had this grotesque mask on? And grotesque is not that it's ugly. It's just called a grotesque mask. It was paper mache. It was solid blue. Very. It was there was no fanciness to it at all. And so they were able to put their own faces on. What it also allowed me to do was to lose myself in that character. And so when I was looking at my fellow performers, I'm not looking at, you know, there's only one, there was one black guy, Ray Holloway. There was one black guy. And later on, there was uh, a, a couple of others. Um, uh, uh, one being Sean Landry uh, was in it. So she was a person. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Sure. Yeah, Sean, Land yeah, Sean Landry was in Geese Company. Uh, uh, we didn't overlap. Uh, she she came on after I had left, but I knew her from there because it, we were, we were this, we were this fucking intense family. Everybody went, whoever went through that, you're like, you're solid with those people because we really had experienced some really, some shit. But um, when you look at your other players and they're all in masks too, we all lose ourselves. And so, as I mentioned, this is an existential experience. It's you, but it's not you. It's your partners, but it's not your partners. And then when you put these masks on, and that also was, we also became very physical actors. My work is very physical. I move like a dancer, yes. you know, in... Uh, and, and, and I'm very aware and my folks, you know, I would go folk dancing regularly at the old town school with my, with my mom. And so I understood dance and, 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 and you know, I never studied it, but I did it. And Geese Company, it was all about physicality. We would spend hours and hours like running, stopping, jumping, moving. There's, um, there's, there, there's this thing called biomechanics, which is a system of you run, you stop, you fall, you, you do it. You do a, a snail thing on the ground. You get up, you shake off, you put your hands against the wall, you do pelvic thrusts, and then you do them all over again, like two and three hours at a time. Oh. And, you know, it's a young person's game. Just, just yeah, saying yeah, it, yeah. I get exhausted. <laughs> but what it does is, Margo, it breaks your body. It, and I, I'm not meaning bones. It breaks your body. It breaks your physicality. And when it breaks your physicality, it's one of the things that I learned is the body is an emotional delivery system. Yes. So yes. at the beginning of the scene, I'm dealing, I'm, I'm not looking at, you know, I don't take suggestions. So it's not the who, the what, and the where. It's how, what's your shape? How far are we from each other? What's, what's our spatial relationship? What gestures are you using? So that physicality takes the place of all that other mishigas that we tend to, the morass that we tend to get into when we get like, hi, Jim, so glad you came down to the running bulls with me in Pamplona. I know that you just opened up this bar and that your sister's on the lamb when you're trying to escape from her and ding dong, look, it's Doris, it's your sister. What are you doing in Pamplona? It's like, fuck, what? But when we look at each other at the beginning of the scene and you're slumped in a chair, I immediately can, I, I can tell who you, who you are emotionally. It's like, we it's all make mistakes, Carla. And then we're off and running. And I don't have to say we all make mistakes. Sometimes the, the cement doesn't dry in front of the house in time and a dog walks by and puts its paw prints in. It's like, what the fuck happened to our scene? It's, it's like, the, I don't know, you know, the uh, psychotherapist Reich, the body armor, 
And uh, when you say breaking down the body, I think of getting rid of that body armor that we all carry in these positions. And so doing things like Alexander technique and Feldenkrais technique are so important for actors and improvisers. And well, you know, Laura, te- Laura, Laura teaches Alexander technique. Yes, she I studied know that. it. That's just, right. <laughs> <laughs> but but Rick Rubin wrote uh, Rick Rubin, the uh, the fantastic music producer, wrote this book called the uh, the the creative act or the cre- when a creative act or something like that. And in it, he talks about. And I just read this yesterday, and and I I cannot recommend this book enough. I cannot recommend this book enough, and I got to get the name of it. But yesterday, I was reading it. And there's a section of it that he talks about essence. He talks about what it is that we really, really love is the essence of something. So this is the book. Um, It's called The Creative Act. And it's gorgeous and wonderful and really, really good. So he talks about breaking stuff down to the essence. Um, You have have your mute on, right? Um, He talks about breaking stuff down to the essence. And... That's what I'm talking about here. Absolutely. And um, I was just going to type you a little note and I'll just say it anyway. Will you stay on after we say goodbye to our audience out there? And one of the things people love about your performance and your teaching, especially your performance, is the physicality of it all. And I had some dance background and I know that you were very much influenced. Let me get the name right by um oh gosh it was a dancer and then um oh mary mary overly and then uh kim kim uh, rubenstein Rubenstein, yes right and ann bogart and ann bogart yeah so uh, so mary overly um was a choreo uh, was a, a choreographer director teacher philosopher, uh, just an amazing, and a playwright, I don't know if I said that right, but just an amazing person. And she came up with, uh, I think, six viewpoints. And she didn't didn't necessarily call them, she called them viewpoints. And viewpoints codifies everything. I know that's hard to to say, but it it codifies movement, it codifies codifies movement, uh, uh, tempo, time, like all of these things. And when we're improvising, uh, or when we're acting or when we're alive, you know, just being alive. Once you define something, it exists. And once it exists, you get to screw with it. So, so uh, Mary Overly uh, uh, started, had the, the strong foundation of it. And then Anne Bogart and Tina Landau uh, wrote a few, uh, conjured up a few, a few more of the viewpoints. So now there's nine viewpoints. And I teach viewpoints because I, I teach viewpoints because creating through viewpoints is about creating through compulsion. It's not about creating through intellect. It's about creating, it's about doing something because cannot not do it. Right, right, right. right. And at the core of, all, of everything that we love are emotions. It's not, it's not ideas, it's emotions. It's emotions put into motion in the body of the human. And then we we watch that. We get excited when we we get excited because you know we get excited when we're with with somebody excited, or we get nervous when we're with somebody excited who's excited. You know, it's we're 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 permeable membranes. And as I've said before, your brain is a liar and an asshole, and nothing comes out (laughs) of my mouth when I'm improvising. Nothing comes out of my mouth that first hasn't been dipped in my heart. And what that means is. How do I feel about that? How do I feel about that? How do I feel about that? How do I feel about what you're saying? How do I feel about what I'm saying? 
I'm feeling I'm feeling excitement and energy just being on, on the Zoom thing with you online with you, David. It's it's contagious. You know, it's anyway, contagious. Contagious. And when we're in person, it's even better. But even now, there's a kinesthetic experience we're sharing because people can't see us, but we're moving in different ways and and interacting and just a um being one uh and and bogart i think her latest book that i'm uh, that i just started yesterday uh is called something like the art of resonance resonance yeah. and resonance is a vibration and a vibration can't right. happen by itself a vibration happens because something happens that makes something vibrate and when we're improvising together there's a resonance that we have even if you try to if you try to ignore it you the very act of you ignoring the resonance proves that there's a resonance you know, and, and so if somebody says, you gave me nothing on stage, I'm like, of course I gave you something. You just didn't feel the resonance, right. you know? And so when we're improvising together, when we're acting together, when we're talking together, when we're eating together, when we're creating food together, when we're fucking together, like all these things have like have a resonance and they mean something to us. And we're, we're alive in order to, we're, we're on stage in order to show that. And, and and talking about being on stage and doing, you know, not so funny improv, like whatever. Um, not in, wait, 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 wait. For me, it's not intentionally funny. Right. The goal is not to be funny. The goal is to go to some place that I've never said, never gone, say something that I've never said and recognize that that's where the humor comes in. Because yes. if your goal is to be funny, then you're going to be suffering from cleveritis. And cleveritis is like, it's really hard because the moment you try to be funny, you remove yourself from your partner because yes. now your yes. focus isn't on that. Your focus is on something. Exactly. I'm exactly. sorry. I just wanted to clarify that. No, no, no. Uh, and it's like if you start picking your nose during a scene, somebody might object to that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <Good example>. uh, <laughs> but it's about bringing the we're bringing life and emotions and feeling and inspiration to the audience. It's an interactive experience. It's going back and forth and maybe helping them to identify an emotion or something. Uh, there was a very poignant story when you talked about in the prison work that you did of a, a person who had suffered rape in prison and your performance about it and how it was so grateful to you afterwards for that. And those are the kind of experiences where we're touching the humanity in each of us. That's And that's the reason. That, and for me, a big question always when I was in Geese Company is why should anybody listen to me? And one of the reasons that they should listen to me is I'm going back to this book, even though, you know, I'm going to use this word a lot lately because I'm going to use this word a lot because I'm just reading this book because what I did resonated and I didn't do it to resonate. I did it because I felt like I, did, I didn't do it to go. I've got something to prove. I did it. To, I did it because I felt like I have to get this out of my body. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's resonating within me and I need to purge it. I am compelled to express it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, I, I want to go back to some things that made me laugh. Um, well, there's one in particular, because I know you're 63 years old right now. And I started improv when I was 60 years old. So ah. I'm a real senior person back then. OK, and it was about doing something with Avery Schreiber, who you thought was too old to improvise at 63. I think yes. we'll be doing it at 83, David. I don't know about you, but. Uh, hey, you know, uh, uh, I have never been a better improviser than I am right now. 
Um, and uh, the story <laughs> was uh, Avery, uh, Avery Shire wrote, uh, we had a Second City show that was the 35th anniversary of Second City. So that was in uh, 35 would be in 94, I believe. Uh, 59 and 35 is 94. So it was in 1994. It was probably it was the last show I did at Second City. And Avery dropped in to do an improv set with us. And I was watching him. I was like, my mom, my mom told me that she went to school with him, uh, to high school with him. And I was like, oh, she would, she would like that if I, if I did a scene with him. So Avery and I did a scene together and he was really slow. Yes. I mean, yes. he was just so slow. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus Christ, this poor man, this poor man, he's lost it. He doesn't have it together. And then I realized this is intentional. He's aware that he's doing this. This is not chronic. And I need to fucking pay attention now right. because he's given me, a, he, he's not, maybe he's aware that he's doing it. And he really slowed me down. And I'm thinking about it now. I haven't thought about this since that happened. Uh, I left Second City. I left Chicago in 95. I came out here and Avery and I became, you know, somewhat friends. And he asked me to teach for him uh, out here, which is really, really great. He had a school and he asked me to teach out, out here for him. And I was like, why that meant so much to me. Wow. I'm thinking about it now. It really meant so much to me. Uh, but anytime we, anytime we can improvise with any of these people, you know, come on, bring it on. What a gift they give us because really the best way that you can learn is by sitting in on that scene. Absolutely. You know, I was talking to Cheryl Sloan recently and mm. you mentioned Joyce in the book, but I wish I had gotten to know Joyce because she was the den mother at Second City, bailing people out of jail, getting them in and out of psychiatric hospitals so they could go teach or perform. And yeah. What was your relationship? Because you attribute stuff to her too, I think, David. Oh yeah, yeah. In that book, you know, it's certainly in the book. In my experience, um, we were hired by one particular director. To you know, Steve Carell and I were hired by a particular director out right out of the training center, and um, <laughs> and we sat in on a rehearsal, uh, and uh, we were called into the uh, one of the, 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 the one of the managers of the of the of the theater there. And he's like, why were you there? And I said, we were hired. And he's like, nobody hired you. Joyce didn't hire you. And Joyce doesn't hire, Joyce didn't hire you. You is don't that, work here. Is that Bernie? No. Who hired me? Who, who said we were hired? Who said that? Yeah. Who said you're not No, hired? that was somebody else. That oh, was okay. somebody else. That was somebody else. Uh, that was somebody else. Uh, and uh, it was somebody else. And we felt horrible because Joyce was like, Joyce was the person that you didn't want to screw with. You didn't want to screw with her. She wasn't scary, but she's like really serious. And you, yeah, she's the den mother, but she's also the mother, but she's also somebody that will be your ally forever. Yes. And she knows yes. more than you will ever fucking know. One, two, right. she's a mensch. She's a mensch. <laughs> you know, she's just a fine, fine person. And you didn't want to hurt her feelings and you felt bad. And when I got married and she found out through a, through a, through a, uh, somebody that worked at Second City, but it wasn't her. She she felt mad. Like, why didn't you tell me if you should tell your parents after you tell me? And um, but Joyce was lovely, and Joyce knew how to put cast together, yes. and Joyce knew what that theater was. You know, the cast that I had, 
at Second City, the cast that I was in, my final cast, not my final cast, my my penultimate cast was Carell, Colbert, Amy Sedaris, Paul Danello, Jackie Hoffman, uh, Ruthie Rudnick, Fran Adams, like Scott Allman, Scott Adsit, like all these people, Rachel yeah. Dratch, and you're like, how do you put this stuff together? Right, right. And it's because Joyce has, Joyce is a, this is it. She's a den mother, but she's a Jewish mother. First and foremost, she's a Jewish mother. Right. And she gives a shit. And you don't fuck with her. She has a lot. Shut up and listen. You know, it's like when you're in her presence, just shut up and listen. Right. Will she fall asleep right. while you're talking? Absolutely. For <laughs> sure. She will. Because she, she works hard. But uh, God bless her soul. You know, I would not be here if it were not for her. And I also want to say this about Cheryl, who you had on on the podcast. Uh, wonderful. And Cheryl Sloan does not get her due. Right. Cheryl Sloan, right. she was a producer. Cheryl was a, Cheryl was a producer. Cheryl grew up in that theater. Cheryl knew what was going on. But it goes back to this. And I know that, you know, I'm sorry to hijack your, your podcast. Uh, it goes back to this, that think about it. And I mentioned this in the book. Cheryl Sloan, Joyce Sloan, um, uh, Sharna Halpern, um, uh, and, and other teachers that I had, Esther Wykel. Uh, and then you look at people now who are, uh, who are running theaters. Most of them are women. Who's, who's the person that created improvisation? Viola, that, that created right. modern improvisation. Viola Spolin, Viola. Neva Boyd, you know? Um, uh, I'm missing somebody and, and I feel bad and I'll remember you know, these people, but it's like women have it. We, we wouldn't be doing this without women because it's a nurturing. It, it, it's about nurturing, collaborating emotions. It's not about who won the sports game. It's not about who can bench press more. It's about being vulnerable and being connected and being kind and being understanding. And and forgive me for this wide paintbrush, but it's like those are feminine attributes. Those are those are female attributes. I'll take that. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think people who stick with improv, a lot of people try improv. They want to get on SNL and things like that. But the people that stick with it and keep going, no matter what, I'm rejected from a team. Okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to do something else. No matter what. We keep at it because it's in our blood and we love it so much. Love it. And I know how much you love it and how much you love your students and give to your students. You know, I was doing in-person workshops with you before the great pandemic. And of course, before we had an asshole for governor in Florida. Um, <laughs> at Studio Theater, right? Studio Theater um, and uh, uh, Will Laura's place in Sarasota. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what, yeah, that's what I, meant. Yeah. I meant. And then we were at yeah. a place, Funny Something, in Lauderdale once, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and I, I think I got an opportunity to take a total of maybe six or seven days with you in person, which was wonderful. After, you know, being with you online, being in person was fabulous. So I'm just... It. I'm just, you know, soaking up to you right now. I got to stop that. But, um, <laughs> well, so I'm, you know, I, it's for me. It's really important to. to it's really important to connect. It's really like I have thrived online. 
If it wasn't for being online, my book would not have been 460 pages. Uh, And then when I'm in person, I'm like, oh, there are exercises that I wasn't able to do because I was, and I can re, I can look at them again from having an understanding of what my methodology is, and it reinvigorates what it is that I'm doing. I've got a, uh, I'm heading back to Seattle uh, for a, uh, for a week long workshop in May, and I love those people up there, and they understand me, and now they have a book that they're reading, so we can connect on a different yes, level. Yes. But, uh, but I'm really looking forward to heading to Miami. I got something in San Diego. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's, uh, my best teachers are my students. And if I come in and I say, I have something to prove, it's like, I have nothing to prove. I feel like, I really feel I was like this. What haven't I done? I've done everything. I feel like I've done everything. I've, 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 I feel so damn lucky. I feel like I've, so I've got nothing to prove. And if you've got nothing to prove, then sit back and listen. Sit back and pay attention. Learn something from people that are failing because those yes, failures yes. create your create create your voice. Absolutely. And I think the community of improvisers around the world, because we're global, of course, I think we're a bunch of weirdos kind of, Dave. And I think that we're kind of weird and special and unique and beautiful. And again, those of us who keep going with it connect on a, on various different levels. And I, I just love sitting here looking at you in your beautiful apartment today. And, you know, you look terrific for an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> right back at you. I like your haircut, by the way. Oh, thank and you. That, yeah. and, and that white shirt is quite spiffy. It's really good. So okay. that, right? Look at that. Look at that. I'm sorry, folks. You can't see this. I, so I, called, I said I was soaking up to you. I meant sucking up to you, but it didn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. <laughs> One thing I will say, the book clarified the method so much for me. It really did, because when I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm self-conscious. I'm anxious. You know, I remember my very first workshop with you and walking across the room to someone. And uh, yeah, the book is wonderful. And I think for people who haven't studied with you yet, they read the book, they're going to be you know, a step above, really, if I can say that. So, no, so, no, for sure. Now, David, what are you doing the rest of today? It's morning time. And oh, all. it's really exciting. Uh, I'm really, really excited. Uh, the rest of the day is I go for a walk in my neighborhood and uh, I stop by, there's a place called the farmer's market, which isn't your typical yes. farmer's market. There's yes. the original farmer's market in LA, which is a permanent farmer's market. So I'll probably head over there. Uh, there's a woman, uh, Louisa, who works at uh, Bob's Donuts and which I walk up and she goes, you want your coffee? I'm like, oh, she has my coffee ready for me. I don't even have to stand in line and I'll read my my book. Uh, I think reading is just so yes. important. Now that the other guy is gone, the former guy is gone, I could do a lot of reading. Um, so anyway, I got that. And then I've got some business to take care of. Um, I love making graphics. I love promoting my shows. So I've got some some promotion that I'm putting together online using the Pixelmator app. And then I have a four o'clock um, class with Vintage. Uh, Mickey Manting put Vintage together. That vintage, the right. uh, Old improvisers. Yeah, that's <laughs> and great. She's, 
But Mickey's another one. That's the person that I was Mickey. forgetting. The woman, Mickey Manting. Mickey, you know, Mickey is responsible for so many of us connecting worldwide through improvisation. And let's also remember that she's, she's I think she's a surgeon. She was a, she's a retired from, I think, OBGYN. Yeah, and a surgeon. Right. Absolutely, yeah. She's a surgeon. And it's like, come on now, what? But anyway, so uh, I've been teaching this online class for uh, going on three years. Yes. And uh, it's not open to people. And the work that we're doing is just so exciting. And I get so excited about it. And then Laura has to work tonight. So I'll probably go over to Cantor's, which is the, one of the greatest delis in the United States, and sit down and have a mishmash, which is a $15 bowl of soup bigger than your head. Uh, and then have a, a glass of vodka. Their pour is really a big pour. And uh, then I'll walk home. Uh, I'll have a vodka and I'll walk home and uh, and I'll pet my cats. Oh, that sounds lovely. And I am just so thrilled we were able to find this time to talk together. And I know we'll find more time eventually. And you are a mensch. You are one of my favorite people in the improv hey. world. And I've learned so much from you and hope to continue to learn from you. And to anybody out there that's thinking about improv, do you have like poils of wisdom to share? Um, yeah, I think when people think about improvisation, they think that they're, they're not funny, so they don't want to get involved in it. But it's not about being funny. It's about you connecting to yourself. Wonderful. I love you, David. Have a beautiful day. I love you, Margaret. Day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.